Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. My mom says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible? Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance. We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids. We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something. It should be an excellent school in every community. Enjoy the show. Uh, I'm Scott Lewis from The Voice of San Diego. And I'm Laura Cohn from the Education Synergy Alliance. Hi, Laura. Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well. Yeah. I have a so this this week's episode is about school choice and how do we how you pick a good school? Yeah, have, how how how, do, how as a family do you pick a good school? And this is coming from a lot of our listeners telling us that um, listening to our podcast has made them uh, in, increase their anxiety level about <laughs> that's <laughs> how our, they that's can our goal, pick a good really. school. Yeah. So uh, I uh, I have a really interesting story about school choice. Yeah. What, what's your story? But. Um, uh, first, we do have Jose Cruz coming on. Uh, he's from the Barrio Logan College Institute. He's going to help us talk about how uh, how he helps uh, some of the parents that he deals with make that choice as they go through their elementary and middle school years and high school. So I was at as my son wanted to he wants to go fishing, right? So I, I was like, well, okay, I'll, I'm a man, I can do that, right? <laughs> yeah. So I. Uh, you know, I had, I, I fished as a kid and, you know, had uncles and dads that did all the tying and all that stuff, but I, I didn't really remember all that stuff. No. Yeah. So I you have uh, to practice those things. Luckily, men of my generation have YouTube, okay. right? Yeah. So there I am watching YouTube, like a kid, like 12 years old, teaching me how to you know, bait the hook. You mean Are YouTuber you to... was 12 years old? Yeah. Okay. And and he's like showing me the knot and all the tackle and all that stuff. It was, and my, my son is hanging over my shoulders and, and uh, it was wonderful. It's like, it's like a, like a crutch for dads, YouTube, <laughs> but it just shows like what kind of education is possible now with the internet. Right. But also it's all there for us. So we're out at the, at the shelter island pier uh, fishing. Wasn't going so well. My son was, Wondering if we'd caught everything, anything every couple of minutes, right? <laughs> right. How's it, did we catch anything? No. <laughs> it's, it's boring. That's, this is why I don't fish. It's boring. <laughs> you'll, you'll know when we do, son. It'll be a pretty big deal. <laughs> anyway, so uh, this guy comes up and he goes, you know, I just love it. I love seeing you out here with your son, you know, fishing. My sons are 20s and, you know, and it's a nice heartwarming conversation. He's like, you know enjoy this. It's not going to last forever, all that stuff. And he, he says, but you better homeschool them. And, and I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> what do we got here? And he says, at least until Trump comes into office, you better homeschool them. <laughs> and I was like, uh-oh. And, and he, then it's just, it was went from the sweet, you know, interesting 
approachable guy to, uh-oh, like, and he starts talking about three bathrooms and, and homeschools because the politically correct schools are ruining kids. I mean, it was... Oh, wow. It was uh, it was a little much for my five-year-old. I don't think he knew what he was talking about with three bathrooms. But, uh, so that was my story. So I, <laughs> I, I was confronted with the the mandate that I had to homeschool my son, which well, I, that is a choice. That is a, a right? choice that some parents can make. It was not a choice available to me because my kids would never have had the patience to listen to me, tell them anything about anything. They, uh, they, I need strangers or, you know, outsiders to be teaching them. Yeah. I, I don't know how that would work either. I, I, don't, yeah. I think we'd play like Mario Kart all day. <laughs> okay. So how, uh, you know, we do get this question a lot, like, how do I go through, you know, choice discussions? And then the window for San Diego Unified in particular to choose other schools has passed for this upcoming year, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't start preparing over the summer and doesn't mean there aren't some resources. So well, you had some perspective on on sort of the policy implications of, of the, the choice system and about making that choice, right? Yeah, but first I want to share that because we started getting this question all the time about uh, can can you guys do an episode on how to pick a school, I started asking people that I encountered. I asked a superintendent. I asked um, some of our interviewees. I said, by the way, we want to do this episode. What would you advise families? And the responses were kind of thin. I mean, there aren't I mean, people said, well, you should visit the school. That was one answer that, that we got that I got from everybody that I asked. And I, I pushed back a little bit because I said, okay, you can visit a school. It's usually going to be during a structured tour and it'll be, so it'll be stage managed. It's not real life that you're seeing. You're just seeing what they want you to, to see and hear. And, and basically people said, yeah, but that's better than not visiting at all. You can get a sense for the mood of the school, the philosophy of the school, um, what, what their values are, what they find important. And, and I do agree that, um, if wherever, whenever possible, visiting a school is, um, is really important. People also said that, um, another suggestion was to look at their social media. Um, because, while the website is static and often out of date and sometimes constrained by the district template that schools are required to use, what schools uh, put up on Twitter or on their Facebook feed sometimes is more indicative of the mood of the school and the culture that, that the um, parent community and the teacher community have. Well, it does give a, it, in particular, it gives an insight into some of the projects they work on. Like mm-hmm. I know that our school does a lot of pictures of the different projects they're working on or the different you know, I don't know, dances or something they do. So that uh, that's the kind of stuff you don't actually get to see unless you're, you know, unless you're around the school all the time. And now there's an outlet for it. For sure. But we all know that Facebook's yeah. a facade. It's a facade for all of us who are on it. And it's a facade for the schools too. They're only going to show you the good stuff. And so it doesn't really give you the full picture. And um, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but for uh, families who are trying to pick a school, we're at a difficult moment right now because the state used to provide, flawed as it was, an index called the API that um, that was supposed to give you a sense for the performance of the school. It was rather flawed, and so I think it's fine that it's gone, but still, it leaves parents ha- um, who want to look at data 
having to plow through test score data that they may have difficulty sorting through. And what I definitely want to emphasize is that high test scores does not necessarily mean a great school and lower test scores don't necessarily mean a lousy school because it really is all about um, value added, if you will. It's it's um, given the kids who are in the school, how much is the school supporting them to grow and get better no matter where they start? And so if you're a school that gets a lot of high income um, capable kids and so they're good when they, you know, they're performing well when they, when you get them and they're still performing well at the end of the year, that doesn't mean you've added a lot of value in their education. So is, is there any way to get any other data like on, on graduation rates or on like college entry, you know, like all the charter schools we talk to, they're always like, well, 90% of our kids go to this or that, you know, yes. are, is there that data available for traditional schools? It is. And again, at this point, it's not, um, easy to find. There's a website called Data Quest on the California Department of Education website that has all of that um, information, a lot actually, um, of information that you can look at about your school, not just the test scores for each grade level and for ethnic um, and gender subgroups, but also graduation rates and um, teacher levels of teacher education and um, a whole bunch of, of stuff. And, and when you found that stat on, on, on my school, how it uh, did well as far as not having a big achievement gap between uh, races. Uh, where did you find that? That was actually a special study. Oh, okay. um, I can't even remember the source of it now, but yeah, it was a, a special study that someone outside of our community so did. It's almost like there's a space for a podcast or a news source to gather the best resources possible for cataloging all the, the ways to make a choice on this. There is, but also just uh, relief is on the way, I should say, because the California State Board of Education, we interviewed Trish early in our podcast um, lives. She and her colleagues are developing a new school accountability system that is going to, um, instead of providing one number that basically represents test scores, they're going to provide some kind of report card type thing that incorporates all these important dimensions like attendance, like student and parent surveys, um, also test scores, um, graduation rates, um, A through G completion, all these things that we know are important. They're going to um, figure out a way to present them to families that in a way that's digestible for both accountability purposes and to support families in picking good schools for their kids. And were you, um, are there ways to actually evaluate private schools do they provide the same kind of tours and stuff uh, let's say you can think about affording them uh, what would be the first steps to evaluating them of course they offer tours i mean they have to market themselves you are yeah. their customers and so they're uh, a well-oiled machine at presenting themselves to you it's harder to compare across private schools in many ways than it is to compare across public schools because they don't have to do the same assessment systems or report the same data and the data isn't um, cached or grabbed in a in a common place. There is one other um, web resource I want to point people to, which is greatschools.org. Um, and that's a website that actually does include both private schools and public schools and tries as much as it can to grab um, comparable information and also is a space where parents and families and students can put reviews of schools. And so, you know, you, you need to look at it with somewhat of a grain of salt because, you know, the complainers often show up to complain and and or uh, schools can stack the reviews, which a lot of private schools, uh, you know, smartly do, which is send people to the website to post um, smart reviews. But still, sometimes you can. Um, it's kind of a Yelp for Exactly. Schools. Yeah. 
And that's the that's the actual data point that a lot of realtors use, right? Like real estate agents and such, and or it, it shows up in in various real estate surveys of areas. Yeah, it's integrated with Zillow and Redfin and and uh, yeah, some of those real estate websites. I yes. think if you go to VoiceSanDiego.org, Andrew or uh, Mario Coran did some work with the uh, the people who run that kind of evaluating how that works. Oh, okay. Uh, so check that out. Go to uh, search for great schools, Mario Coran uh, and uh, real estate, I think, would show up at Voice San Diego. And you can read that story. He did a piece about how to choose schools I thought was interesting. Uh, so, yeah, so there's all kinds of options. Uh, we didn't really give you a, a path. But if you've had experience, um, you know, please let us know how you made the choice. We'd love to hear how you did that. Call us at 619-354-1085. Again, that's 619-354-1085. And leave a message. Uh, tell us where, what neighborhood and school and other information like that, what your name is, and tell us how you went through that process. If you don't want us to air it, please make sure that's clear as well. Um, if that's a private message, we'll keep it confidential. But just let us know that you want it confidential. Otherwise, we're going to use it, post it all over the interwebs. So 354-1085-619-354-1085 and let us know your story about how you did that. In the meantime, our number of the week. So we're going to reprise a previous number of the week, which was that 42% of parents across San Diego Unified School District are choosing to send their kids to schools outside their neighborhoods, sort of their neighborhood assigned school. Now we've talked about that before, but uh, we got a little bit more context too on on how that compares. We do. There's a report from the Center for Reinventing Public Education, uh, where I worked early in my career. They did this report in 2015, looking at uh, the title is "How Parents Experience Public School Choice," and they looked at eight different cities and did surveys of parents about. Uh, what their experience of choice was, how they went through it, what they weighed, um, et cetera. But they also included, they collected data about um, what proportion of families choose a non-neighborhood-based public school. And that 42% for San Diego Unified comes in, if they, if it were in the mix, it would put them uh, eighth out of ninth city, nine cities that were studied. Um, starting with New Orleans, 87% of families pick a non-neighborhood-based public school for their kids. Washington, D.C. at 63%. Detroit, 59%. Philadelphia, 57%. Baltimore, 55%. Cleveland, 50%. Denver, 50%. So only Indianapolis was uh, less non-neighborhood school choice than San Diego at 35%. So that 42%, I think, impressed us when we first heard it. And we we still think it's a sign of um, families getting access to a good number of choices here in this community. But there are many cities where families are exercising that choice even more heavily than they are here in San Diego. And, and as, as the report, I think, shows, as you were talking about, there's some traits that go along with, you know, who decides to make this choice uh, and um, it's it tends to go along certain demographics, right? It does. So um, for reasons that, that we will get into, uh, the choices are made more by parents with higher education by a significant gap. I think in New Orleans, the gap is about 17% between uh, families with college education and families with high school or less education. So the more education you have, the more able and um, the more able you are to exercise your choices. All right. 
or what's working. What's working is the Parent Institute for Quality Education. PK is a program that's headquartered here in San Diego. It's been in our community for um, several decades. The head of it, David Valladolid, has been the executive director for, I think, most of its life. And it trains parents. It empowers them to um, be uh, positive and um, productive parents for their for their kids in public schools, including how to make smart choices um, among their school options. So PK is uh, is a great program. It's been um, it's spread to other communities across California and across the nation. So um, it, it's really important to help parents um, learn about how how to navigate the system. All right, stay tuned now. We have uh, Barrio, uh, Barrio Logan College Institute Executive Director Jose Cruz. Okay, we are here in the great Voice of San Diego podcast studio in downtown San Diego, and we're joined by Jose Cruz, the Executive Director of the Barrio Logan College Institute. Hello, Jose. How's it going, Scott? Hi, Laura. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming down. Uh, so uh, let's get some background. So um, uh, what is the, the Barry Logan College Institute? So Barry Logan College Institute is an out-of-school time program that prepares disadvantaged students um, from some of our most underserved neighborhoods to be uh, among the first in their families to enroll and succeed in college. And so we start the students as early as third grade in this program, and we continue to work with them until they graduate from college. Uh, we also work with the parents, so there's somewhat of some wraparound services there uh, to create a college-going culture in the home. How many students are you working with? This year, we'll be serving close to 400 students and wow. about 200 parents. Uh, we have a site in Barrio Logan, and we also open one in Chula Vista in partnership with the uh, Promise Neighborhoods Initiative with South Bay Community Services. Your, your site in, in Barrio Logan is right next to Monarch, right? Actually, it's in the Monarch building on oh, the okay. second floor, yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. And how do the families find you? So we've been around for 20 years. Uh, we don't do much recruitment anymore, actually. And the only recruitment that we that we do is really at the elementary school level. But even then, um, the uh, parents will talk to their neighbors or to their cousins. And so we have applications that come to us that way. In fact, we don't do much recruitment, unfortunately, because we don't have enough spaces for the kids. So we are really sad to go out and and uh, and talk about how great the programs are to the community, only to have them, you know, on the waiting list. Sure. So that's it's a good problem, but a bad problem in a, in a way. Like there's more demand than you can serve. Absolutely. So when you say slots, what what does that mean? What is it? You say after school they they come after school and they come and do more work, or how does that? Work? If you talk to one of our students, they'll say that you know BLCI feels like a second home to them, and okay. that's mostly because you know after school they usually come to us before they go home. Mm -hmm. um, in the elementary school program, it's open slots. So we have we're now serving 20 students per grade level. We were at 15 per grade level uh, last year, thanks to some you know successful fundraising year. We were able to extend enrollment. Um, we also learned from the Chula Vista program that we can stretch that number a little bit more if we have some assistance for the coordinators. Um, so it's 20 students students per grade level, and um, the uh, you know the the families uh, come in at, in the after school hours. The elementary school kids are there from 3:30 to 6, to, and sometimes 6:30 if they need some extra help. Uh, the older 
older kids, we have kids at actually over 50 different schools throughout San Diego County, thanks to School Choice, which we'll be talking about today. Um, we have to wait for them to get back to the neighborhood. Um, they usually get in around 5 or so, and they have workshops from 6.30 to 8. So we're open until 8 o'clock at night. Um, but what's beautiful about it is that it, it doesn't feel like school. It's like this weird hybrid between the house and school. Yeah. You have parents walking around. They're bringing food for the kids at night. Um, and so it's really a sense of community where uh, the idea of going to college has been normalized for these kids. What need does it fill? What, 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 are, what are they getting that they, that they wouldn't get otherwise? I think the best way to answer that question is to talk about a college going culture. So when you, uh, you know, if you've gone to college and you, as soon as you know, you're pregnant with a baby, you're probably thinking about, you know, getting them into the most, uh, you know, competitive preschool program and buying them the toys that they need to stimulate their brain to give them an edge before they go to school. Um, you know, let alone choosing schools that would prepare them for college. Uh, we're working with families, uh, mostly many of them who have not graduated from high school. We have some families with an elementary education. We have some families with no formal education whatsoever. Um, so imagine what, you know, college for them is not in their vocabulary. They want their kids to succeed. They're not exactly sure what that means. Mm -hmm. um, so we're there to answer that question. Um, we ourselves are first generation in our families to go to college, including myself. Um, and so that also serves as an example to the community that it's possible. Um, and then when you throw in our, we have a hundred percent success rate of sending our high school graduates to college, 88% straight to four year universities. Um, and the pictures of them are on the walls and they come back and they work and they're working with the little kids. It's very real. It's very tangible. Um, I think that's really what, what we're, th we're there to serve is to create college as, as a normal step after, after high school. That's an amazing track record. Um, tell us more about the families and how they're involved with the program. So the parents have to do 30 hours a year in order to have their kids there. And uh, so they'll bring food because it's the after school hours. They also clean the facilities. Um, and that's nice. But we actually prefer that they use those 30 hours in workshops that we have for them to create a college going culture at home. So we teach them about the American education system. We have communication classes to really create an environment at home that, um, that is conducive for the kids to go to college. So they learn how to communicate better with their kids, but also with each other. Um, so I think what you're talking about is like, so when I went, I, you know, when I went through college, my, my mom had gone through college, my dad hadn't. Um, but I think uh, it wasn't really apparent to me that you, you needed extracurricular activities that you needed, you know, all these kinds of other elements. You know, I feel like if somebody had pulled me aside and said, look, you could, you can go to Yale if you try and if you do some, a bunch of things or, you, you know, figure out yourself. Uh, is that what you're talking about? You're kind of like giving them an idea of what they would have to do to get through this process and help them understand like why it would be valuable to. So, I mean, if you, in, in more concrete terms, our, our programs are based on what we call the ABCs of college success. So A is for academic support. We want to make sure that they're doing well in school and we want to help them choose schools that are rigorous enough for them to help them stretch, um, but that aren't um, at a level where they're just going to not succeed at that school. So that's the academic support support that looks like tutoring, that looks like um, workshops that are focused on whatever the needs of that particular cohort are in any given year. Um, B is for behavioral development. We believe that being successful in life is much more than just getting good grades. So we teach kids to set goals for themselves, even interpersonal skills, how to shake someone's hand and how to talk to adults and recruit them as your 
quote unquote personal board of directors um, as you're developing your, you know, your your career. And then C is for college knowledge. And so that's, you know, very clearly, this is what you need to do to get to college. These are the classes you need to take. Um, this is the difference between a community college, a CSU, a UC school. Um, Here's and, what a FAFSA form is. Here's how to fill it out. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we have you on the show uh, about school choice. How do you pick a good school, really? So uh, it seems like the people you're working with are at the at the very heart of that issue about that problem about uh, you know schools that they might not be excited about might be actually scared of or might be you know otherwise intimidated by the, the rumors about them or just the idea that they're not good schools and so they have to make a choice about whether to go to the neighborhood school or whether to go to a charter school whether they go to a, a traditional school outside their neighborhood right. how do you help them make that decision what kind of things do you go through for some of the kids in elementary and junior high sure so as soon as a, as a kid finishes our program in the fifth grade that cohort goes through um, you know, school choice training if you will along with their parents so really? we actually opened the BLCI up and we bring in um, some of our partner schools like you know high tech high or or um, San Diego High has come as well. Some of our pri the private schools that we send our students to as well will come, and uh, they'll do a presentation for the families. Um, of course, not all the schools that are options can come to BLCI to do this, but uh, so we also print out the enrollment guide for our parents, and that's available on the um, on the district's website in both English and Spanish, and we go through that guide with the parents so that they know what their choices are. Um, what's important for us is that parents know what their choices are. Uh, we understand, for the most part, school choice is not as controversial as it used to be, but there is some still some controversy around school choice because, of course, when you're taking a kid from the community and sending them outside of the community, that you know, funding follows the kid. Um, and so, essentially... Um, you can weaken the school by pulling resources away, but then you're also sometimes pulling some of their highest performing students. Um, however, while we recognize that and while we have some efforts to help neighborhood schools improve, our, our you know, primary focus is what the family needs right here and right now. And so, unfortunately, we, we, we don't think that because us adults are trying to f figure it out that the kids should be in the middle of us figuring out how to improve the neighborhood schools. And so if the options are available, we just want the families to know those options. So Jose, is that something that your families worry about? Or is that just something that you worry about at night as you're falling asleep? <laughs> it's kind of both. And you, we have families, you know, sort of across the board with different ideas. So some of them still want to keep their kids, you know, close to home. It's walking distance from home. And we respect that. And we encourage that as well. We have a great relationship with our local element, or actually uh, K through eight school Perkins Elementary. Um, so we, we th that's great. Um, some parents want something a little different from for their kids. And so and, and so they'll send them to or will recommend a school maybe close to the neighborhood. Albert Einstein ends up being a pretty good option for some of our Barrio Logan families as well. Um, but do, do I stay up at night? Well, I mean, it, it's somewhat personal to me because I'm a product of school choice. I grew up in City Heights in a single parent home. And um, my mom did not want me to go to my neighborhood schools. Um, so at that time, uh, you had to be into a particular program to allow you 
to access school choice. And there was a program called VEEP, Voluntary Ethnic Enrollment Program, I think. And it was to diversify some schools in, in the suburban areas. So I ended up going to De Portola Middle School and Sarah High School, which are in Santa, mm-hmm. And I was bussed out. They provided transportation. That is no longer the case now with school choice. And um, and I think that because of that, I had some opportunities to go on to college, be the first in my family to do so, um, and then come back to the community and serve. So you look back on that choice as something that um, changed your trajectory. I believe so. I mean, it's hard for me to say because obviously I didn't go to – I would have right. gone to Wilson Middle School and I would have gone to Hoover High School. And I don't want to um, – you know, speculate as to what that would have been like. It's very different now than it was then. You know, Hoover has some great programs now that were not in place when I was going through school. But, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, I definitely feel that um, that I wasn't. You know, going to college and at Sarah High School was was normalized. You know, a lot of students were doing it. Um, it wasn't rare. The graduation rate wasn't low. Um, I was one of the students that was bussed out, and I think there's a label that goes with you when you're a kid not from the community. But I actually, funny enough, I felt that more in the at the middle school than I did in the high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the leadership at that high school, Sarah, was very inclusive, and and they did a good job. And you know, you keep referring to that that point uh, a college mindset. How do you use college it? going culture? A college going culture. I like that because I don't think my friends had that. <laughs> um, but I think I, as I look at my own children as they go through their, as they start their schooling, I think that's what I worry about the most, right? It's not necessarily a college going culture, but a, a, a culture of excellence, right? That they mm-hmm. want to succeed. They want something, you know, beyond getting through the day or hitting to the weekend or whatever. It, how do you identify that in a school? How do you identify that they have, that it has a culture? Cause I feel like there's no test score that shows that there's no tour that could really display that. It feels like, how would you identify that a place has a college going culture? College going culture actually refers to life, not only in the school, but outside of the school. Yeah, so it's yeah. the idea that... It's the conversations, it's the clubs. Exactly. It's the, Everywhere you go, actually, your neighborhood, the fact that yeah. your parents went to college and they're talking about going to college, you know, it's just that you're consistently confronted with the reality that college is the natural next step after high school. But for, um, for schools, um, I mean, it's no secret, a lot of them sort of tout their college entry rates for some of our for some of their yeah. students um, and uh, so for example Price we have some students at, at Price and we know that that's a college prep that that's all about getting disadvantaged kids into into college that's a charter school that's um, sponsored in part through partnership with UCSD that's correct and on the campus as well so we have some students there we have some students at the high-tech high schools uh, which also look to to create that bridge um, and then even at some of the public schools that we have our students at um, we have some students at um, at Point Loma High, uh, which tends it's a traditional public school, but it does a pretty good job with our students. Um, and again, that they're getting that in the schools, and in fact, they have to do the A through G courses now that are required to get into a California State University or University of California. Um, and so, uh, most of the schools will offer that curriculum. We just support them on the back end and make sure that 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 it's challenging enough for the kids to go to college. Okay, so walk us through how you coach families on how to pick a school for their kid. What are the mechanics of it that you that you advise from the family perspective? So you're a student, so you have a student in the fifth grade, uh, or you have a student now in, in the eighth grade, and it's getting close to, um, uh, actually, uh, we start 
promoting this in September and and have mm-hmm. a meeting with them in October, um, so that by the end, the, the time they finish that particular um, school year, they they know what what school they're going to go to. Even though the applications I think are due in February, so we start a little early with the education. But what we do is we'll teach the families about school choice, about their rights. Um, then we'll, as I mentioned, we'll we'll bring in some of our partner schools to uh, to present to the families about what their options are. Um, and then we again we go with go we'll go through the enrollment um, guide with them and and help them understand what their options are. We even help them with their applications. Um, so as I mentioned some of our families don't speak english or they don't know how to read um and so we we're, we're there to to help them with that the application actually itself for school choice is not that difficult but for some schools like price for example that they have a little bit more of a robust application for that or if they if there's a student who is looking at a private school um, that's the, that's a pretty extensive application as well. One of the big discussions going on in the country right now is about the the crushing debt that students are facing when they get through college, or uh, you know take on loans. There's all kinds of theories about the disruption of college coming, or the boot camps, or the coding boot camps, or the alternatives to college. Has that given you any pause, or or, or are you are you changing anything that you do to prepare students? for post uh, high school education in in that regard in post college yeah actually um so what we see is that um students who typically have a difficult time after college uh finding a job not j- just at BLCI but just in general it's because they haven't built the network um to enter the the workforce as as you would expect so it used to be that you know getting a college education pretty much guaranteed you some sort of job back in the day and that's yeah. not the case anymore so we work closely with our students um, even before they go off to college and teaching them how to um, apply to internships how to develop mentoring relationships that can then be you know fruitful for them l- later on and to understand that getting into the workforce or you know, succeeding in life in general is much more than getting good grades. That's that behavioral development piece I was talking about earlier. Um, so we have internships at BLCI as well for college students. Um, if it's their freshman or sophomore uh, summer in college, they can do one an internship with us, and we sort of work out the bugs and teach them how to function in a workplace appropriately. And then our goal is for, and we just started this this year actually, and our goal for third and their third and fourth year in college is to connect them to some of our um, corporate partners or community partners for jobs that match their field. Um, so, you know, that's, that's sort of, I think that kind of answers your question. But I think for us to take it even deeper, um, we actually had a moment of deep reflection at BLCI not so long ago where we realized, as I mentioned, that most of us are first in our families to go to college. And, you know, why are we so passionate about this college thing? Is it really just to prepare kids um, for the workforce and to, to have um, better options and jobs? Well, yeah, there's that's definitely part of it. But what we found that for us, and this is certainly true of me, college, college gave me a voice. Yeah. You know, college, um, I often say that I went from a kid who felt that the world happened to him to a kid who felt he can happen to the world. Um, And that's a very empowering feeling, especially from someone from a disadvantaged neighborhood. And so when we talk about college, um, it's much more than just a job training opportunity. It's a place where you can discover where you might find a meaningful life. 
Meaning, you know, what are your strengths and what's the world that you live in and how do you plug into that and develop a career from that? Um, while at the same time being conscious of Where real job opportunities. Well, I went to San Diego State undergrad and then I went to Harvard for my master's. I think what I think that's a good point. And as we we should have more discussions about higher education, because I think there is an important debate going on about it. Is that the best investment in some cases? Is it, you know, is it working well? And is there are there better alternatives for some students, all that stuff? I think what's interesting for me is is college was important. It was important for me to be a big, weird kind of city in a way, you know, like San Diego State is, or mine was University of Utah. And it was like, I got exposed, you know, somebody wrote something in this college newspaper that made me angry. And it was that interaction that changed the course of my life that, you know, had there not been a school newspaper or had I not been on campus in the way that I was, that might not have happened like that. And so I wonder you know, how do you create a universe like that for people? And, and you're right, like just getting to go through that is such a privilege that so many of us take for advantage, take advantage or take for granted. And I think, uh, I think that's a great point. So, well, it's the, it's the beginning of summer. A lot of parents, uh, right now listening to this show are thinking, gosh, I gotta, I need to make a decision. Am I going to try to, you know, pull something off before the beginning of the seat. I know that's not the right time for college or school choice, but you know, charter schools are still picking wait lists and stuff like that. Uh, how do you, uh, what kinds of things would you tell them to look for or to, uh, you know, as they decide to make these, these, these choices to other schools or just to stick with their neighborhood school? Um, any, any advice for them? Absolutely. It's not too early to start investigating and uh, and collecting some information where you might want to send your kids. So the summer might be an opportunity if the school is still open for you to do a tour of, of a campus that you're interested in. Um, the Actually, the the guide for 1617, well, that, that would have passed, but as soon as the guide, um, the enrollment guide is up through the, through the, um, the website uh, for the for the school district, you know, go ahead and print that out, learn about the schools in your, in fact, you can just print out last, it's not going to change much from one year to the next, um, but start, you know, start, start getting a sense of what's going on at those schools. Um, interview some people who have their children there. If you know somebody who has their children there, that might be a good opportunity. Um, but, but it, but it is your right. You get to choose, and uh, and that um, I, I think we're very fortunate to have that choice. It's, it hasn't always been that way. I like this. Uh, Jose's thinking one year out. You were thinking last minute scramble. <laughs> Jose's orienting us towards uh, planning ahead, which it is. It is a big choice. It is an important choice, um, and so it deserves that time. So, do your parents find it? bewildering. So you've educated them about their rights. You've educated them about their range of choices. Once they, once that world is opened up to them, what's their reaction? Because that's what we're hearing from our listeners that they're glad they have choice and yet they find it overwhelming. It could be overwhelming depending on the school we're talking about with regards to applications. But I think our biggest challenge, bar none, is uh, transportation. Mm -hmm. um, it's not offered at many schools or there's sometimes there's a cost associated with it, an annual cost that's pretty hefty in the hundreds of dollars. And uh, and our, our parents, unfortunately, can't can't afford that. Yeah, You mentioned that in your own experience as you were bust. Um, do you think there's a, that we're actually underserving children more because of that cut? You know, I think it's good that we have a choice, period. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's kind of difficult to have the choice, but then not have the means to really exercise that choice. Mm -hmm. um, 
It's the same with even, you know, private schools, for example. We, we might get a student into a private school, but if there's no funding, there's no way our parents can afford to pay for the tuition for private school. Um, so it's great to have these choices, but if there's no means to do it, then it's, you know, it kind of is, it feels like lip service sometimes. Is there anything BLCI can do to help with that? Do your students ever carpool to a, a school of choice or anything along those lines? That happens, or we can provide uh, public transportation um, resources for the students. Most of the time, that's what happens is our, our students just Wake use public early. transportation, or they do carpool. Yeah. Um, that, that happens pretty frequently. Well, you mentioned you're at capacity at about 400 students. Mm -hmm. Uh, do you have dreams of growing? Uh, is there any way that people can help? We do have dreams of growing. So um, one thing that we found with the Chula Vista, so the Chula Vista model is a little different because it's actually in a school. Um, it's during the after school hours, but we also do in-class tutoring. We have a parent program that's open to all the students or the parents at the school. Um, and we have some leadership programs there as well. So what we're looking at is, you know, the BLCI model, which is actually in the community where the kids live, um, what things are transfer transferable over to school districts and how might we partner with other school districts to provide a service um, that is more cost effective than what we're doing in, in Barrio Logan. Um, however, the Barrio Logan, the, it, it comes, it's you know, it comes with its trade-offs because the Barrio Logan program works so well because it, it the families in the community feel like it, this is a family and it's outside of a school. So, um, whereas when we have the programs in a school, sometimes it feels like an extension of the school day to the kids and that has an impact on their performance in the program. Nonetheless, our Chula Vista program has been very successful. Just our first year, our students grew two years in their reading scores, uh, our third graders, um, and surpassed students that were not in the program. Um, that's amazing. So, so that's, you know, and it was less than a year. It was, a, I think seven months cause we, we started into the year already. How much of that is, is like, you know, a lot of this same thing comes up sometimes with successful charter schools. It says, well, the, the response will be, well, they have active parents who care about it and therefore like are obviously going to be predestined to do a little bit better. And so it's, it would seem like your parents would also be perhaps more engaged and might have uh, more success that way. But that also sort of belies the idea that just because they're underserved or grew and growing up in some of these poor neighborhoods, that they won't be able to succeed because once they're provided the, the culture that you're describing, they do. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it you know, there's, uh, I hate to generalize, you know, this is what disadvantage, you know, people yeah. from underserved neighborhoods is how they are. And, but definitely the parents that we work with in the Barrio Logan site, um, they, they definitely come with that dream, you know, and most of them are immigrants. So most of the parents uh, were not born here, but the kids were born here. Mm -hmm. And so they, there's this immigrant sort of mentality and, 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 and focus that we capitalize on. Um, we're also in the Barrio Logan site, hundred percent Latino. So we also capitalize on the Latino concept of, of family and, and sort of bridge this idea of going to college with, you know, the family. So we're a family that's going to college and that's what your family does. So that's what you're going to do. Right. So, um, so people really want it and they're thirsty for it. Um, you know, our, our waiting list shows that, um, we just need to be able to provide the resources to help more and more families. Well, Jose Cruz, uh, the executive director of the Barrio Logan College Institute. Thanks for joining. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, um, if you can help Jose Cruz and Barrio Logan College Institute 
out, I think you should. Uh, we've found them to be interesting for many years now, and I and I obviously a lot of people benefit from the program he runs. Uh, if you also went through Barrio Logan College Institute, or if you went through a program like that, or if you ha- if you were experienced in creating a culture of college, college going culture, a college going culture, I would love to hear about it. You can again call that number six one nine three five four. 1085 leave a message and where, where you're calling from and let us know if you do not want it to be aired it's been another episode of good schools for all thanks laura thanks scott and thanks to all the people that helped make this possible tristan loper and maxi what's maxi's last name gluckman yeah she's been doing some great work behind the scenes for us as well so uh thanks for your help and uh stay tuned